0: Amen. Welcome in and happy new year. Thank you, Brent I appreciate it. I'm the only one participating. That's fine. I wish y'all happy new year. I don't wish me a happy new year. That's fine. Uh, man, what a 2022 it's already been, right? Like tornadoes one night and snow tonight, right? <laughs> 75 to like... Uh, 20, that's, uh, that's something, um, but man, we are excited to be here, excited to turn the page to a new year, uh, excited to see what God has in store for us. So as we turn that page, we are turning the page in a couple of things in our church. Uh, this month, we are tracking in our series uh, entitled Tough Sayings of Jesus. We are doing what I call a combo series. I don't know that anybody else calls it that, but if the pastor calls it a combo series, I guess that's what it's called, isn't it? Uh, so we I'm, we are preaching a combo series. And the idea is, man, we want to see you get plugged in to home groups. Uh, we want to see you plug in there. And so we will try, I don't know that we'll always do it, but we're going to try every uh, new home group, every new new semester, we will launch. And when we do, the first month is going to be a study that we will all do together. So you will get tough sayings of Jesus today. You will get tough sayings of Jesus at midweek if you're signed up for home groups. If you're not, you can still do that. So go and find Jeremiah will be at the first table you come to, the first round table that you come to as you leave. Sign up for that because if you're not signed up for a home group, by design, you are going to miss half of what the Lord has for you in this tough sayings of Jesus, right, uh, in this series. So we don't want you to miss that. We would love for you to be a part of it in our home groups as well as in our large group times on Sunday. But that is where we'll be. So if you will open your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, we are going to begin our study in the tough sayings of of Jesus you see tough sayings Jesus some of the things that Jesus said are tough for a variety of different reasons. they're not all tough for the same reason. Some of them cause us uh, to bend the way that we see society. Some of them, the things that Jesus will say, as we 'll talk about today, is societally unacceptable, socially unacceptable. Uh, It just doesn't make sense. And it didn't make sense today. But it certainly didn't make sense in the day that Jesus spoke them to this audience. Some of the things that Jesus will say will go against Our relationships that we have in our life, they will appear, at least on the front end, to have relational ramifications and be relationally unacceptable. Uh, Why? Because the people that we have relationship require some things out of us. We will be leaving immediately after our interest meeting for Las Vegas uh, that we have immediately after this service plug there. Uh, if you want to go to Las Vegas with us on a mission trip to Favorite City Church, uh, we are doing that in July. Love for you to be there. But after that, my family and I are headed down to Mobile. We are going to celebrate Christmas in the new year with, uh, with our family down in Mobile, right? Family requires things. Social, social nuances dictate that we have to do some of those things. And some of the things that Jesus says are going to seem like it is relationally unacceptable. Some of the things that Jesus said, most of the things that Jesus will say that we'll talk about, are, seem personally unacceptable. Things that just go against how we feel like things ought to go in our life. Go against the presuppositions that we have, whether it's bred in us through, through our society, or whether it's just in our nature, how we feel like things ought to go. To go. And so we're going to dive into that today, but in John chapter 6, we find a very, very tough saying of Jesus. I mean, it seems socially unacceptable, because I don't know many people that are going around eating other people's flesh and drinking people's blood, right? Right? Safe to say those are not friends that we typically try to hang out with. But listen what John said. I don't, maybe you do. John said, great diet plan, I guess. But uh, John chapter 6, verse 53, let's let's read what Jesus says here. Let's hear it in as harsh and abrupt as we can possibly hear it, and then we will look at it in context. Truly, truly... Not just truly, but truly, truly. I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have, you have no life in you. By the way, it was really difficult for me to chisel out one verse because Jesus doesn't make this point once. He makes it over and over and over in John chapter 6. And to the point that it is uncomfortable it's an uncomfortable thing for him to say. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, give us understanding. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive. Lord, what it is that you have for us and the truth of your word. Your word is truth. And so, Father, with that understanding, may we go forth and understand what you have for us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Uh, when I was in high school, I think it was the summer before my senior year, I did something that was memorable. I don't know how remarkable it was, but it was memorable. Um, I went to something called Boys State. Do I have any other people that have participated in Boys or Girls State in the room? Okay, Got some hands. I want you to know that your church is well-represented at Boys State because both myself and Will at different years went to Boys State. So obviously, great fraternity of people because of the the people they select. Uh, But Boys State was a really strange thing for me. Um, I don't know about you, but in high school, I wasn't really chasing all the political nuances of the day. I was concerned about who I was dating at the time. If I was doing good, I was just concerned about that one girl. Um, I was concerned about making decent grades for the next level of school. I was concerned about making sure I was a starter in baseball and in football. But I really hadn't given a whole lot of thought to politics. So I don't know the wisdom of this. I'm not here to say it's bad or good. But what they decide in Boys State is we will throw these young men that have never thought about politics a day in their life. We will throw them into a pressure cooker at a state university where they will be immersed in state politics and what it looks like to be in state government for the entire week. So you go from zero to 60, not thinking about politics at all, to now I am running, because I mean, I'm an all or nothing kind of guy, I am running for governor of the state of Alabama for boys' state, right? Like... Because, hey, go big or go home, you know, we all wanted to do the little middling, you know, house of representatives or something like that. I was like, Nah, I'm all or nothing, right? I'm go, going at it. We, we had very different experiences, by the way. Uh, I mean, you, you're, you're arranged, your dorm hall is a city and you've got mayors and you've got representatives there and then you've got elected officials that go to the state and, and it's this whole crazy thing. It rained every day that we were there. Really, the highlight of the whole thing for me was the most epic. Epic game of mud softball that I've ever played in my life. Um, still have not replicated that fun uh, yet, but it was, it was fun. It was fine, right? But I went for governor. I'll never forget, y'all. I would never thought about politics. I didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't have a clue. I didn't know that the state of Alabama had a border control issue. I didn't know that we had weird, sketchy, racist stuff written in our, in our Constitution. I didn't know any of those things. I remember having one conversation. give you an idea how clueless I was. I had one conversation with a guy that was trying to be sharp. Hey, um, Alan, I have to tell you, you're running for governor here. What are your thoughts on political systems? Are you more socialist or capitalist? I thought, I don't know but I like to talk, so socialist, right? Uh, yeah, I'm a socialist, sure. Like, and he's like, oh, okay. And I realize, like, lost that vote, right? So next time someone asks, capitalist. I'm just, I'm just telling people what they want to hear. I have no idea what I'm doing, right? But I'm playing fast and loose with it. I've got SpongeBob on my political posters. I don't have a clue, y'all. Needless to say, I did not get governor. Um, the guy that got governor felt bad for me because I had made such an embarrassment of myself that he let me be a part of his cabinet. And so I got to hang out with him while they were, he was meeting the governor and all. But that was about it, right? And, and I say all that to say, like, I'm trying to establish some rapport and some momentum. And so I'm just telling people what they want to hear. Like, what do you believe? What are your goals in life? World peace. You know, like, I'm just trying to tell people what they want to hear because I want to develop this following of folks, What we see in John chapter 6 is Jesus do the exact opposite of these things. Could have been the most powerful political man to have ever existed, and Jesus sabotages everything. He doesn't just say what, he doesn't just not say what people want to hear, but he tells them the very thing that would absolutely discredit him entirely in their minds. And we find it in John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, the verse 14 verses of John chapter 6 is Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, this was a crowd favorite, right? You feed fish and chips to thousands of people, they're going to be your buddy, right? When my parents call and they say, hey, Alan, uh, we're going to go to Mildred's if you want to come um, and bring the boys, because that's honestly the reason why they want me to come They want to bring the kids and hang out with the grandkids. I come running. Why? Because I know who's probably going to foot that check, right? It ain't going to be me. It's going to be them. And, hey, I ain't too proud. Like, yeah, free meal in. I'll hang out with you anytime you want, Mom and Dad. Like, come on. Free meals. Jesus, as soon as he did the thing that probably made him the most popular that he had ever been, at the height of his power politically on this earth, Jesus fed the crowd, the first 14 verses, and then Jesus fled the crowd. He got away. The next next 10 verses, 11 verses, 15 through 25, are him trying to get away from everybody. So much so that he would go up on a mountain, he'd send his disciples off, and then he would literally walk, because he had to be alone, he would literally just walk to the disciples on the water and meet them in the boat to go to Capernaum, go to the other side of Galilee. He fled the, the crowd, he fled the multitude, fled the people. But thirdly, what we find is what we'll talk about today. When the crowd found him, when the crowd did their investigation, found where he was, found what he was doing, they all decided they wanted a free lunch again, so they went to Capernaum, to the synagogue where Jesus was teaching. And this is the record of what he said. He he. So he fed the crowd, he fled the crowd, and then he spread the crowd. He did everything in his power to sabotage this followership that he had developed. Listen first to the witness of the dead. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 26. <clears throat> Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are, not, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. What's he saying? Exactly what it sounds like. You're not following me because you believe I'm the Son of God, the Messiah. You believe me. You're following me because you're getting something out of me, right? It's advantageous for you to hang out with me, and so you're here for the perks. Do not work for the food that perishes. I mean, they did some work. They left where they were. They went to Capernaum. They did the legwork to find where Jesus was. They went through great lengths to be around this guy who would provide food that perishes, but instead for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. And then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And then Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom has, uh, believe that you believe in him whom has sent, whom he has sent, excuse me, I didn't see that word in my, my nose here. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you what, your wor- what work do you perform? What's he's at, What they're asking? They're saying, okay, well, if you say you're sent from God and there's a seal set upon you that God set upon you, what are you going to do to prove that? Right? He's already fed 5,000 plus women and children, but and those people were more than likely there, but what are you going to do to prove that you're there? What are they asking for? Again, they're asking for a handout. They're asking for something for them. And this is what they say. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, I mean, if you want to be in the realm of Moses, Moses provided something to eat. He provided something to eat whenever the people needed it. Every day. Every day there was manna on the ground. We know that they were specifically talking about Moses, not God, which is ultimately where the manna came from because of what Jesus says later. Then he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, hear this. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. You know what he's saying? Hey, you telling me you're not this ain't just a one-time thing. Like you will feed us daily forever. In what do we do? Details. Details, right? Give us this bread always. These men came, these this crowd came with some very making some very big misconceptions. The first thing that we see is they had flawed motives. He tells us in verse 26, you are seeking me because you ate your fill of the loaves. You are here because you filled your belly. They had flawed motives. They wanted more food. They wanted to be supplied physically. They wanted to to have this need met. They were hungry again. The fish and chips were great, but they want to eat again, maybe after some of them leftovers of the 12 baskets that were full. They sought to follow Jesus in as much as they got something out of it. I want to hang out with Jesus because it's a good thing. It means good things. It means blessings on me to be around Jesus. But to understand the kingdom of God means having the proper perspective in how we approach Christ. There are two ways to live your life. Either one, you will use your purposes to be employed to serve God's purposes or You will use God's purposes to be served to serve your purposes. There's only two ways to live. You'll either live leveraging all that you have for the kingdom of God. Or you will leverage the kingdom of God for all that you have. And what we do... The things that we do in life and how we orchestrate our life proves to us where our motives lie. These were flawed motives and flawed people. Things of lesser importance exist to serve things of greater importance. This is how we decide what we're gonna do in a day. When you tell me you're too busy for something, you're not telling me how what your schedule looks like. We all have different amounts of time in the day. What you're telling me is, is what's most important to you. You, I promise you, You will make time. If you care about something enough, you'll make time for it. I promise. I promise. And so in speaking their priorities, they're concerned about filling their bellies. They're concerned about what God can do for them, what Jesus can do for them. Things of lesser importance always serve the purposes of things of greater importance in our life. So you can look at your life and go, what is the amount of time that I spend on my kingdom versus the amount of time that I spend on God's kingdom?" And whose kingdom am I really serving? In God's kingdom for believers, we exist to serve the purposes of God rather than God existing to serve our purposes. And I think we, most all of us, understand that intellectually. We got that here. Where it doesn't make it is here and here. How we flesh that out proves, in fact, that maybe we don't. Maybe we may understand it, but it has never penetrated our heart because we will spend the great majority of our life providing for ourselves. when the message of the gospel is God has provided all for us. And we will work to provide. We will sacrifice family, friends, church, ministry. We will sacrifice groups. We will sacrifice all of it In order that our needs will be met, we will be fed and we seek the provision instead of trusting the provider. This is how many of us live our life. Second, so they had flawed motives. Second, we see that they sought to employ flawed means. What did they ask When, when Jesus told them? They said, okay, well, then what do we need to do? To fix this verse 28 what must we do to be doing the works of God like a good Jewish person they had been taught that if you want to obey God here's a list of demands that you have to meet here's a standard right and you have to live up to this you have to do this and don't do this and so what is it that we have to do in order to get this meal pass for life they had improper and flawed means they sought to receive favor from God through religion, through what they would do. Merrill C. Tenning, a theologian, says, to Jewish questioners, attaining eternal life consisted in finding the right formula for performing works to please God. Jesus directed them to the gift of God that could be attained only by faith in him. Not what can I do, but... Who who am I after? Who can I pursue? In trying to find temporary bread, they missed the living bread, the bread of life. And listen to Christ's response. This is the work, all right? He wasn't wasn't harsh with them yet. He wasn't saying things off color yet. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. There's a passivity in this that is hard to get around. What must we do to make God like us? Well, you have to believe in all that I will accomplish. Okay, that's fine. We believe that. What do I do, though? Like, what do I do? How do I serve? Where do I plug in? What do I need to be doing? And Jesus is simply telling them, hey, you lean on the finished work of God. You lean and believe in the one that I'm sent. You believe in Messiah. You believe in me. Thirdly, we see that they had succumbed to a flawed message. See, they believed that seeing was believing, if you want to prove to me, and this is this was what happened in the Old Testament, if somebody wanted to prove their worth, look at Joseph, right? Or uh, excuse me, Moses when he goes and he he presents himself to Pharaoh and he performs all these different things, the the rod turning to uh, a, a snake and all, all these different things, right? Like he's he Aaron's rod buds, like all of the things that happen to prove his authority. They believed. Seeing was believing. What Jesus was telling them is that if you are going to inherit this kingdom, not the kingdom leading to death, that you can't achieve perfection so it leads to our death. If you want the kingdom of life, if you want the kingdom of God, believing is what leads to seeing. That you place your faith, confidence, and trust in me, you believe and then you will receive. They believed in a flawed message because ultimately, fourth, they had placed their confidence in flawed man. They had placed their confidence in Moses, in the patristic fathers of the faith. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. Hey, Moses did this for us. What do you got, Jesus? They had placed all their confidence in man. They had placed it in themselves to provide for salvation through the law. They said, Moses gave us manna. Moses gave us manna. And Jesus said, interesting that you bring that up. Interesting that you bring that up. John 6, 48 through 49. Listen what Jesus says. I am the bread of life. The problem with your manna, as an illustration, is you are not comparing apples to apple. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, and they died. I am the bread of life, Your forefathers, your great-great-great-great-great-grandpappy might have enjoyed manna in the wilderness, but your great-great-great-great-grandpappy is dead. He gone. He died. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors have partaken of bread leading to death. This manna that was rained down daily provision for the people of God. And Jesus was saying, I am greater than any temporary position position he would say later I, they got hungry again they ate one day and the reason why it had to fall every day is because they got hungry again and the next day and the next day and the next day and if god would have ever shut off the manna they would have died to not eat of the manna would, would have been a death sentence right there's no other food there's no other sustenance jesus says i am the bread of life this was a word that's used over a hundred times in the new testament Over a hundred times, if something is repeated once in the Bible, it's important. If it's said in the Bible, if it's repeated three times, it's really important. If it's over a hundred times, it's important for us to understand this concept. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Bread became synonymous for food, for sustenance, for survival. And the problem with food is that you get hungry again. But for Jesus to claim... He was the bread of life, is to claim something far greater than anything these people had seen. Number two, look at the witness of the bread. The witness of the bread. We've seen the, the witness of the dead. They all died. This is what they did in the past, but they are all dead. None of them are here to tell us about it. Listen to the witness of the bread. John 6, verse 50. This is the bread that comes down from heaven. So that one may eat of it and not die. Quit comparing me to things that lead to death. Compare me to bread that... Bleeds to life, to not die. I am the living bread, not the inanimate object that came down from heaven that nobody understood where it came from or what happened. The actual name manna means what is it, right? They had no clue how it got there, but that was what God gave them. I'm greater than this inanimate wafer that falls from the sky. I am the living bread that came down from heaven like your manna came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for, I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. That's important. The bread that I'm going to give is my flesh. This is where things get weird. You ever been in those conversations where things take an awkward turn? This is where things get weird. Listen to what they say. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? This so is similar to the question of Nicodemus that was equally perplexed when he said, man must be born again. And G- Nicodemus said, what? Are you suggesting what I think you're suggesting? Listen to what he says. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man... Right, he's doubling down because he does. Now he's not just talking about flesh. What does he say? And drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Yuck! This is repulsive. If you don't eat of my flesh and you don't drink of my blood, you don't have life in you. This is the verse that we read. Whoever feeds on my flesh, then he he, he goes over it again, like beats the dead horse. Right? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks. My blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 55, he doesn't leave it there. For my flesh is true food. In case you're wondering if this is a metaphor, no, this is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Do you get the toughness of this saying? Verse 60 would tell us that all of his disciples go, hmm. Jesus, this is a difficult saying. What we call that in a figure of speech is an understatement. This is a terrible statement. To understand this in worldly terms is to understand the unthinkable. As the living Father sends me, and I And I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. To partake of me is to partake of the Father. This is where it takes a theological turn. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. For you to come to me is to look different than the world that you're in. This bread that is synonymous with all sustenance, right? To have bread is to have life, to have a way to continue living. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And here's the problem with the manna. Jesus borrows from the picture of the man and he begins the, he, he being the fulfillment of that picture. Here's what he said. He said, listen, the problem with the manna is every day you got hungry again and you had to get more. And then when we finally got to the promised land, guess what we don't hear about anymore? Manna. The bread all of a sudden is no longer provided. It's, it's not needed. They're in the promised land. Jesus said, as I am greater than this inanimate bread. I am the bread of life. What is incredible about this picture is this bread that they would rely on that was celebrated, that was even part of the Ark of the Covenant. Right There was bread, there was manna that was included in the jar in the Ark of the Covenant representative of God's provision. It was celebrated in the Jewish people and Jesus said, I'm better than all of that. Because mine leads to life. The benefit of the manna was that it sustained Israel until they could get to the promised land. To not eat of that manna would have been a death sentence in the wilderness. But once there, the manna ceased. The benefit of Christ's work is that it not only sustains us here, but it sustains us to a heavenly promised land one day. That we are supported not just for a time, it doesn't just bridge a gap, it is the point. It is the end all and be all. It is the end that all the means lead to. The manna was a picture of what it would mean to be allowed and strung along to get to the promised land. But Jesus would be offered to bring us to our eternal home. And so I am the eternal Bread. The Holman New Testament commentary says this. The real bread that came down from heaven was not manna, but the life of God's Son given on our behalf. What did he say? It would require the bread is my flesh that I give up. I give up my flesh. I die in the flesh. I cease to exist in human form in the flesh. He's speaking of Calvary. But listen. Eating the physical bread of the Old Testament ultimately led to death. But eating the spiritual bread of the New Testament, participating... In Christ's death at Calvary provides eternal life. So he would die in the flesh so that if we would partake of his sacrifice, of his flesh, then we would have eternal life in him. So he doubles down and he talks about this idea. Understand that this idea is not uncommon to the Jews Turn to Ezekiel chapter 3, keep your hand there in in John 6, but I want to give you a little bit of context to this idea of eating and drinking flesh and blood. The, The part of flesh was bad, the part of drinking blood was flat out unrighteous. Jewish law dictated that you could not drink the life of an animal, which was the blood. And so, for Jesus to say this would be, You are drinking the life of Christ, right? And so, but listen what it says Ezekiel chapter three Ezekiel is told to eat a scroll of the law. Listen what he says. And he said to me, verse one Son of man, eat whatever you find here, eat this scroll. And go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. And then I ate and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. This again is a weird picture of Ezekiel receiving a word from the Lord and it wasn't just enough to hear it But literally, he was told to ingest it. He was told to eat it. What was this idea? The idea of eating something for the Jews was symbolic of buying in to that thing. It was buying in hook, line, and sinker. Look, there's a lot of things that I use in day to day life, there's not a whole lot of things that I'll eat right? But for me to eat it is to believe that it will do me good, not harm, that it will lead me to life, not death. It will further me instead of length, instead of shortening my days, right? And so to eat of something was to buy in hook, line, and sinker. And what he was telling Ezekiel is, listen, here's the message. And by the way, this message in context was one of sadness and condemnation. It was not a good message, but Ezekiel bought in because it was the word of God. He bought in the law and he preached the message that he had consumed and so this we have in view as jesus says eat my flesh and drink my blood this is not the law this is not a message of condemnation a message of hey you can't do it on your own you are dead in your transgressions and sin. As Paul would say, with the law comes the knowledge of sin. I know the law and I know I can't reach it. And every Jew understood that principle. I can't save myself. Boy, they tried, but they couldn't do it. It was a law leading to death. But it pointed the way to the bread that would lead to life. It pointed the way in their minds. It pointed the way to them. Like Ezekiel, their faith would be rewarded. But it's not something as sweet as God's law. That's important and that's a word from God and that was sweet in Ezekiel's mouth. But they wouldn't just be be trusted with and be ingesting the law of God. They had already bought in. They had already ingested that. That was what they ate, slept, and breathed. But God was giving them an opportunity to be rewarded, not with his law, but with his love. Here is a way to access the love of God found in Christ Jesus. Listen to what John 6, 40 says. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. This is the point. This is the work. This is the religion. All of it leads us to the point of trusting in God, having faith in God to meet our need. Trust him to provide. Instead of seeking provision on our own, to trust him to provide. And where he leads, we willfully follow, not to serve our own directives, but to serve the directives of heaven. And so we look finally at the witness of the Fed. Number three, the witness of the fed. Many of these disciples turned away. It was a difficult staying, which meant this is a deal breaker for me. I'm not going to eat your flesh and drink your blood. And we know that that didn't physically happen. But what did Jesus say in the covenant supper? What did he say? This is the new Testament. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is my body broken for you. This is what we're doing in remembrance of me. And all that had not come to fruition yet, but this is what Jesus is leading to. This is what it means to participate with me. You want to be with me, and it's going to require some difficulty. Listen to John 6, verse 66 through 69. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Many believe so many as all but the twelve forsook him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? If everybody but the twelve, he looks at the twelve and says, Are you ready to go too? Here's the door. Listen to Simon Peter's answer. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. What did he say in verse 29? This is the work of God that you believe in whom He has sent. You believe in Christ. This is the work. This is what we are to do to maintain a posture of faith in Christ, not only to save us for salvation, but to sanctify us by His grace through our life. This is what God has called us to. This is the work. Believe in Him who He sent. John 6, verse 40 that we just read. For this is the will of my Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. Now read verse 69. And we have believed. And we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. The saying of Jesus, we've seen in verse 53, was not softened for Peter or the 12. It wasn't put in a more palpable form, palpable form. It was not given in a way that would be more acceptable to them. It was difficult. And I'm going to tell you, I bet Peter was concerned because, hey, he still thought the Messiah was going to be this big political hero that was going to lead Israel. And you ain't got an army, you ain't a political hero, right? Like, and he, he didn't have people following him. Right and so he probably had an issue with what Jesus was doing. He probably really hated it when he saw the multitudes leaving. All of the people that Jesus had accumulated. This was no easier for Peter. But the difference between the crowd and the 12 was they had believed. I said, Jesus, I'm concerned about things that you may have said, but I am convinced I'm concerned that this way is going to be difficult. All 12 of those disciples would be martyred in one way or another. All 12 of those disciples would live a life rejecting what they might desire for their own life in their flesh in order to follow Christ. It meant bad news for their flesh, for their physical life. It meant bad news for Paul. But we have difference is, it's already settled in my heart and mind. Why? Because I have already been fed by you. I have believed in you. And because I have faith in you as the bread of life, why in the world, regardless of how difficult it is, why in the world would I go to another source leading to, only to death? But I desire to partake of the bread Why would Jesus say things the way that he did? I've asked that question as we look at this. Why would Jesus say tough things like this? Why would we, as a church, preach a whole series on these difficult things that Jesus says? This is what I wrote. And I'm just going to read it right off my notes. The reality is, Jesus spoke about tough things because the Christian life, is tough. Living righteously is hard. Living righteously is self-denial. In rea- the reality is the Christian life is difficult. As a follower of Christ, you are forfeiting your right to live your life to suit your own desires. That is forfeited at the cross. Inevitably, God will direct you To follow him, God will direct you to people and places that at times in your finite mind seem inexplicable. I cannot explain why Jesus would have me here, call me to this person, force me to deal with this individual, put me in this place, put me in this situation. He requires that you follow him on paths that seem impassable. God, there's no way I can do what you have given me to do. It's not possible. It's not passable. And he asked for you to respond in faith and obedience when the task seems impossible. You don't have to look any further than John 6. Go find five loaves and two fish. Let me show you what I can do. I don't see the way out. I don't see what you're doing, and it doesn't make sense. But we have believed. But in the end, our humble dependence on Christ will always result in us bearing witness to his deliverance. God places us in a position of dependence on purpose so that we see his deliverance and we know that we can't take any of the glory for it. He gives it to us. We take a posture of dependence to see his deliverance. No, Christianity is not for the faint of heart. That is a message you need to understand because sometimes we undersell what it means to be a follower leaving all for him. But it is offered to those who would have the courage to receive from God faith. Of heart. Are you convinced. That he is able to meet all of your needs. If you are. Then your life will look like. Leveraging all that you have for him. Have you put your faith. Your confidence. And your trust in him. In our home groups this week. We're going to be talking about. Jesus seemingly adding a bunch to our plate. You've heard it said, don't murder. But I'm telling you, don't even call people names. Okay. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I tell you, if you've looked at a woman and lusted, you're a sinner. There's another one. That's not what Jesus is doing, though. What Jesus is doing is he's speaking to our heart. The Jews made a habit getting as close to the line of unrighteousness as they could, toeing that line so that they could still live with privilege in their own life. Jesus said, if I have your heart, then I'm going to have your hands and feet as well. If I have your heart, then your desire is not to toe the line of sin. Your desire will be to flee and to run for sin. So what about you in your life? Have you taken partaken of the bread of life? Have you believed? If you haven't, I want to give you that opportunity today. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? We have the opportunity today to believe in what Christ did to partake of his death on the cross. That he died in the flesh. That we eat of his flesh, drink of his blood. That we partake in his sacrifice that he laid out for us. He paid it all. Jesus paid it all. And in light of that, all to him we owe. So if you're here and you don't have that relationship with Christ, I want to give you that opportunity to respond to him today. Would you respond in humble faith and obedience? Seeing's not believing, but believing is seeing. Would you respond in faith in who Christ is, who he says he is? Would you respond to him and see Deliverance. Depend on him and see his deliverance in your life. If that's you and you need a relationship with Christ, this invitation is for you. When I say amen in just a moment, come find me here at the front. We've got counselors would love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Christ. Maybe you're here and maybe you need to make another decision. Listen, maybe you know that you have a relationship with Christ, but you have not been pursuing things of God. You have been pursuing, you've been living your life on your own means, on your own standards, on your own terms. Maybe you just need to find a place here at this altar and confess those things. Realign yourself with where God is so that you can continue to abide in him. We just pray that you would move as the Holy Spirit leads in our heart and life. Father, we thank you for this time of invitation. I pray that our hearts would be in tune to you, that we would respond to you as you lead, as you draw, as you bring us, God, to deeper, dependency and obedience on you. We know it's going to be hard, but we know we don't do it alone. So Lord, I pray for those that need to make decisions today that they would respond in this time of invitation. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Would you stand to our feet as we sing? Would you come? Whatever decision needs to be made, pray that you would do it today. Would you come?